going to be in the book of Acts this morning, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Sorry, the slide says 5 through 12. I, don't, I was looking at something probably and uh, wrote the wrong thing. Uh, good to see you here this morning. Uh, we do have a few visitors here. We appreciate you being here this morning. Hope that our study this morning is helpful to you. If I say something that uh, doesn't quite make sense to you, I hope that you'll talk to me about that. Uh, we could almost just go home after that last song, uh, feeling the, the weight of that song. Uh, it's always a song that has made me uncomfortable. Uh, and I, I, I imagine it makes a lot of people uncomfortable because uh, it gives us the notion that uh, we are going to struggle with the fact that we have not mentioned Jesus to those around us. Uh, but it's such a fitting song to prepare us for what we're going to be studying today. Uh, and, and to help us think a little bit more about uh, the people around us and think a little bit more about our responsibility to, to spread the word and to talk to people about what God has done for us uh, and just mention him to them. I mean, that's not, that's not too much to ask, is it? It's not too much to do. Uh, yet we struggle with that. Uh, in fact, as we look out in the world today, congregations are kind of dwindling in size. Uh, they're, they're getting smaller and smaller. Uh, smaller congregations are starting to not exist. Uh, and there's lots of theories about why that is. Uh, maybe the, the most common theory is that the world is changing, our society is changing. Um, there's an there's a overwhelming resistance to Christianity and to uh, actually uh, obeying and, and submitting to uh, the worship that God has called us to, the, the community that God has called us to be a part of. Uh, and so we might blame society for that. Uh, but is it really society's fault that congregations are dwindling in size? Uh, it becomes an easy thing for us to point a finger at other people. Uh, but we, not, we might need to think a little bit more deeply about the reason behind that. And I hope that our study... Uh, today will help us to look into ourselves a little bit and maybe consider uh, that the responsibility or the reason is more so on us uh, rather than on them. Uh, we're going to study uh, Acts chapter 4 today and we're going to learn about how in the first century there was a lot of resistance to Christianity and rejection of Christianity and yet that did not stop the church from exploding. Um, so, so maybe just a shift in mentality is needed for us to think differently about the fact that, that society in general is becoming more resistant of Christianity means, of course, our congregations are going to dwindle in size. Well, that doesn't necessarily follow. It's not necessarily the case. Uh, we've been studying in Acts uh, and, and learning about the church being established starting off, uh, and we've learned about how uh, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he proclaimed the truth that Jesus, whom they crucified, has been raised from the dead and exalted into heaven and he is now the King of Kings. He is the Messiah that the Jews have been looking for. He is providing them with the Spirit, with all the spiritual blessings that were promised in the Old Testament. It is now available to them. Uh, whenever we studied through chapter 3, we started to see a, the beginning of a story that we're going to continue to look at uh, this morning that Peter and John went to the temple and they saw a man there who was lame and instead of offering him food or offering him money, 
they say, in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. And the most amazing thing happens. He gets up and he walks and he leaps and he runs through the temple with Peter and John uh, and clings to them, letting everybody know that it's because of these men that he is now walking. But whenever everybody looks at Peter and John, they say, why do you look at us as though we are the ones who did this? But it's Jesus who has done this. Jesus is still alive. And he is the one who has brought about the healing of this man. Jesus, whom you killed, is now able to restore all things. And he promises to do that. He is able to provide you with refreshing. He is able to blot out all of your sins. And we read that people heard that message and they believed it. And many were added to the church on that day. 5,000 men total in the church means uh, that the number swelled from Pentecost being 3,000 to maybe upwards of um, 8 or 9, 10,000. The church grew enormously in the first few weeks of Christianity starting off because the message was believable. Everyone understood what was being said and they believed it. Because it all made perfect sense. It lined up perfectly with scripture. And who could deny the signs that God was doing among them? But the healing of this man and the proclaiming of the message of Jesus did not result in the effect that we might expect. Yes, many were converted. But the religious leaders were not so thrilled to hear about what was going on. You see, they had uh, arrested Jesus and put him to death. And in the message that Peter was, was speaking, he said, you have delivered him over. You have denied the Messiah and you have killed the author of life. And the fingers were pointing at all the people, but the fingers were most powerfully pointing at the religious leaders of that day. Because they were the ones who had conspired and brought about the arrest and the murder of Jesus. And they were not too thrilled to find out that Peter and John had done a miracle to heal a man and proclaim that it was by Jesus' power. So the religious leaders arrest them. While thousands of people are believing in Jesus, the religious leaders are taking Peter and John and throwing them in prison for a night. Can you imagine healing a man, receiving such wonderful response from the, the, the people, and then being taken and arrested and thrown into prison at night? The mixture of emotions, the excitement about what's happened, and also the dread about being in captivity, being arrested, being in chains. What would be going through your mind? We know Peter was even married at the time. Would he be thinking about his wife? Would he be thinking about his family and, and how he won't be able to provide for them anymore? Or would he be concerned about the, the idea that these men who are responsible for killing Jesus would find some way to bring about his death? Would he sleep? Would John sleep? I kind of wonder about that. Until I read the words that happened the next day whenever their question by the religious leaders. 
they give a testimony. After being asked, by what power or by what name do you do these things? I mean, it's just a perfect setup. And as Jesus told his disciples, don't worry whenever you're brought before leaders. I will, spend the, I will send the Holy Spirit to you and he will tell you everything that you need to say in that hour. I imagine that Peter and John received that very blessing at that very hour knowing exactly what to say. And their response blows everyone away. Let's read that together. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel but that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What a statement from Peter. How bold, how eloquent, how fitly stated. At the very beginning, I love it. He says, are you bringing us before you in trial over the good deed that we just did? That's ridiculous. Is that, is that your accusation against us? Is that what we're guilty of? Guilty, you know. And then the perfect question was asked, by what power or what name do you do these things? In other words, whose authority do you have to do these things? That's just an easy answer, isn't it? <clears throat> by the power, by the name, by the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Such a powerful statement that they have been able to revive this man, to restore him, to make him fully healed by the power that Jesus had given them. And that these men who are now judging them are the builders who rejected Jesus whom God made the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the, the central, the first part of the building that is laid, to, that, that decides where all the rest of the building will be constructed. And it is the foundational stone that, that begins the kingdom of God, that the disciples are the foundation of, that are building up into the church of God, which is made up of his people. Then these last words. I'm surprised they let him keep speaking. But these last words are some of the most powerful words. And I hope that if they're not highlighted in your Bible, you'll consider highlighting them. And I hope you'll consider underlining them. And I hope you'll consider writing them down somewhere to remember them. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In a world that's telling us that they offer salvation through different people and different things. The Bible stands in stark contrast saying, no one can save you but Jesus. 
kind of impact should this have on us? How should this section right here, before we even go any further, how should this section right here connect with us and change us? Do you have sins in your life? Have you done things that are wrong? Are you guilty before God? Do you feel the weight of your sins? Do you understand that there's nothing you can do to remove them? And do you understand that because God has given Jesus, you can be forgiven? That's the only reason you can be forgiven. That's it. There's nothing else that provides that forgiveness for your sins. There's nothing else that stops the condemnation and the judgment for all eternity except the blood of Jesus. For the Jews, that they needed to understand the high priest is not the one who will save you from your sins. The Sanhedrin council is not the ones who will save them from their sins. They need to rely on Jesus who is dead and resurrected and has ascended into heaven. He is the only one, and we do too. That's the way we must think about him, that he is the only one who can provide that forgiveness. And that's the way we must view him as we look out at the world around us and we see people who don't have him. Are they sinless? What can they do? What can they have that will save them from their sins? They can go on YouTube and find all kinds of things that will give them peace of mind, meditate. They can think about all of these theories and philosophies and they can drown themselves in ideologies. But the burden of sin remains. And they're not going to be saved by those things. Does that weigh on us? Our own sins and our need for Jesus should be really considered as we consider these words, but also the sins of those around us and their need for Jesus should be on our hearts and our minds daily. That's why I said at the beginning of the song, whenever that song was saying, it's convicting because we know this. There is salvation in no one else for you and me and them. That's it. Well, the religious leaders you would think at this point would say, okay, well, obviously what you say is true. You just healed this man, which no man can do. And this, this man, uh, it, it says at the uh, end of this section, verse 22, this man has had this ailment, has been lame for 40 years. He's been sitting in front of the temple for 40 years. So everybody knew that he was healed because of Peter and John, and everybody knew that they said it's because of Jesus, and there's no denying it. So certainly the religious leaders are going to submit to this fact and say, okay, Jesus is the way that we find salvation. What do we need to do to serve him? We hated that guy when he was here, but we see that this is obviously true. We cannot deny it. What are we, we going to do? Well, they don't submit. Instead, what they say is, everybody leave. 
They get Peter and John out and anybody else who's there. It turns out the 40-year-old man was probably there with him. Uh, and, and maybe another crowd of people wondering about this. Everybody leave, and the Sanhedrin Council meets together, and this is what they say. What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Did you hear that? We cannot deny it. So why, are you, why would you deny it? But in order that it may, not, may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Do you see the rebelliousness, the resistance, the rejection in these words? They will not be convinced of the truth. They refuse to. They refuse to accept it. They can't deny that this is a notable sign, that this is something that, that has been done by God as a sign for people to listen to these men, but they refuse to listen to these men. Wow. That's insane. Why wouldn't you submit to this? Why wouldn't you just give in? You were wrong. You made a mistake. You, you killed the author of life. Is it really going to be better to try to shove that under the rug than to be open and admit? Is it really going to be better not to? For these men, all that matters is their appearance and their current way of life. It's all that matters to them. It doesn't matter that the Messiah has come and that we killed him. It doesn't matter. What matters is maintaining the appearance of righteousness, the appearance of prestige and, and godliness, and what matters is that we get to continue to enjoy our positions, we get to continue to enjoy our authority and our power and our wealth. That's what really matters. So forget about this Jesus talk. The truth does not matter as much as the reality of the joys we face on this earth. Does that pierce you at all? To hear that kind of mentality? Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard the truth about Jesus. Maybe you've seen the evidence and you know beyond a doubt he is the resurrected Savior. There's no doubt that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he's done. Why would you say no? Why would you not willingly submit and say, I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness and there is salvation in no one else and I want it. Please, please, can I have it? Do you not see the relationship that you have to these men? If you're here this morning and you've tried to evangelize, I hope that you see through this, your evangelism will not be 100% effective. If you are discouraged and disheartened at the hard-hearted people around you who have rejected something is very obvious, obviously the truth, I hope you understand. People will love to continue their lifestyle 
more than they will love the truth and the hope that you're offering them through Jesus to remove all their burdens. They will be blinded by the love of this world. That will happen to you as it happened to these men who were proclaiming the truth. Well, after that, we have some of the most remarkable words again in Scripture. Peter responding uh, to their threats. They say, you must not speak in his name anymore. And you know what they say. Words that are probably uh, on the tip of your tongue, that probably stick out in your mind more than any other if you studied this before. In verse 19, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You see how they just give in. You're the judges. You get to make a decision about what we should or should not do, but we get to make a decision about what we will or will not do because it's our lives. And you can judge whether it's right or not for us to speak in Jesus' name and teach about Jesus. That's fine. You're the authority, and you can say all of that, but at the end of the day, we are going to make the decision to obey God rather than men. How bold is that? We are going to listen to God and not you. In the face of the Sanhedrin council, the religious leaders of the Jews, they said that. Who would speak that way if what they're saying is made up? Who would say those kind of words, those threatening words, back to the Sanhedrin council? I imagine it was said respectfully, but the idea that they're conveying is you're rebelling against God. Should we really listen to you? Should we really do what you would have us to do? Then the religious leaders let them go free, and they could not harm them. You know, as we study this text, and we consider the world around us, I hope that we understand that the situation is not so different. What we go through in life as people are resisting the gospel and people are telling us, you shall no more teach about Jesus, is the same thing that these men were told. And so what what do we learn from this? There's three things. First of all, we learn and we, we should already know, Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. And without Jesus, no one can be fixed. He is the source of eternal life. He is the source of salvation. There is salvation in no one else. And so as a follower of Christ, we cannot seek salvation in anyone else, in anything else. Nothing and no one can give us what Jesus can give us. So why would we? Why would we seek for salvation in our government? Why would we seek for salvation in a political leader? Why would we seek salvation in a celebrity and and think that they're going to guide us to what is true and right? Why would we look to them for all the answers? I know whenever I was a kid, I'd look up to these athletes, 
because, wow, look at what they've been able to accomplish. I can't believe they've got these skills, these abilities to be the best at basketball. is my favorite sport. Michael Jordan, wow. But Jesus is the one who deserves that level of honor, that level of glory. Because he is not the most athletic. He is the one who is the most righteous. And we must value that more than we value our sports or the wisdom of men or the beauty of of women or whatever it is that we're looking to in the world around us. Jesus has to be our cornerstone in life. He has to be everything to us. And we have to realize that people will reject him. When we make Christ our cornerstone, we have to understand everyone else around us may not. If you're like me, you've met people like these leaders. They are stubborn and rebellious and defiant and they are scoffers and you tell them something or show them something or ask them a question that cuts right to the heart of their issues and they blow it off. Or they just get more ornery and more hostile towards you because of what you said. Because it was true. And they don't want to believe it. Well, guess what? We haven't had that in the past in society 100 years ago or whatever. But we're going to get that a lot right now. And just because we get that does not mean that we cannot succeed in teaching people. There is good that we can do. Just because some people will resist and reject the message that we're trying to share to share with them does not mean everyone will. And Peter and John do not stay in that council and, and beat those Sanhedrins in debate over and over and over again to make sure that they believe and that they accept, even though that would have been a a huge win for the church in general, right? If the religious leaders accepted Christ, then who wouldn't accept Christ? But they didn't stay there hoping to convert them. They moved on. And we'll learn about that next week. They prayed for boldness to keep speaking and saying the true things that God had given them. And we also must do the same. We're faced with a situation where men tell us, you better stop teaching about Jesus. Should we really obey them? You know, I'm not, I'm not advocating defiance and rebellion of the government or of uh, those in authority in any, in any circumstance. But in this circumstance, yes. We better rebel them against them in this circumstance, in this way. We better speak the truth. We do still live in a country, thankfully, where there is freedom of speech. These men didn't even live in that country. They didn't even have the freedom of speech that we have. And they still said, whether it's right to obey God or men, you be the judge. But we we can't help but speak about the things that we've seen and the things that we've heard. We can't help it. It's going to come out. We love the people around us enough to, to give them the message, there is salvation available to you. 
And we know where salvation is found and it is available in Jesus and we want to share that with you. And they are totally convinced that that is the truth and they are going to give that to other people. Well, what about us? Are you so convinced that there is salvation in no one but Jesus that you have to tell people around you? I look forward to the day when we sing, you never mentioned him to me, without guilt for not mentioning him to our coworkers, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors. The church is not dwindling because society has changed. The church is dwindling because we know the right thing to do and we're failing to do it. Peter and John are hard at work because they know that their master is coming back and that he has given abilities and responsibilities to his servants and that those who fail to do the things that he has given them the opportunities to do will receive a judgment if they completely reject it. Now, I'm not giving this lesson to make everybody feel bad, though it does. I mean, it just is what it is. I mean, if we're guilty, we're guilty. I'm giving this lesson to try to encourage us to think about what gifts God has given to us and whether or not we're really using them. Maybe you're not at the point where you can teach somebody everything about the Bible. That's fine. You, you need to be here studying to get to that point. Hebrews gives us the picture that by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, there's an expectation that we would grow to maturity. But James tells us, let not many of you become teachers. And, other, and understanding that some of us are not going to be gifted in that as much as others. And some of us are too immature at the point to teach people. But... Whatever gift you have, are you using it? And are you willing to mention Jesus, mention God to people around you? That doesn't require a Ph.D. in the Bible. Are you willing to share with people what God's done for you, what you've learned about God, what you know about God, to encourage people to look into him, not necessarily to beat them over the head with it and try to force them to do something they don't want to do? And if you're disheartened and discouraged because people have resisted and rejected, you're not alone. You're not alone. We've all been through that. And just because you haven't and you've been failing because of the weaknesses of your, your own struggles does not mean that you're too far gone. God is willing to give grace to the humble who admit that they're not perfect and they're messing up and who submit to God and flee and resist the devil. We have to give up the comfort of a peaceful relationship if they become re rebellious and defiant against the truth. That's not on us if we're respectful and kind and gentle. But so be it. We have to obey God rather than men. If you're here this morning 
and you've not obeyed God, you've not submitted your life to serving Him, and opened yourself up to all the spiritual blessings that can be found in Jesus, you are weighed down with the burden of your sin. Even if you found a way to forget it and not think about it, for the majority of the time, the, the, the bitter truth is you're guilty and there's nothing you can do to remove it. But God gave us Jesus to provide for that, that peace and that salvation, to blot out every sin, and you can receive that if you'll just turn to him today. And if there's anything that we can do, if anybody here needs prayers about anything, will you please come today as, as we stand and sing?